This is Localization Today, a podcast from Multilingual Media. In today's episode, our editor-in-chief Cameron Rasmussen talked with Derek Fajardo, who is responsible for international strategy and machine translation at Harvard Business Publishing. I'll tell you a little bit about what uh, happened with Harvard Business Publishing. We uh, refer to it as HBP. Mm-hmm. When I was recruited to interview for HBP, they had nothing set up for localization at all. So they were looking for someone who had experience building teams and building processes and building infrastructures. And in their case, they wanted to be able to think about the future and how it might scale down the road as well, even though the beginnings were pretty humble and we we started out with something very, very small and just one product line. I say small, but in, in fact, the product that I started working on is the one that I will refer to later in this in this interview, which is called Harvard Managed Mentor. It's been mm-hmm. the flagship product for HBP for a long time. And so it is a, a very large and complex product. The version that I came in to work on back, back then was uh, one of the earlier versions, but it, it helped us to kind of understand what the the uh, intersection between technology and language and business needs and what what that should look like. So I joined um, about 10 years ago with that task in mind, thinking about the future and thinking about organizing our efforts, connecting with vendors and starting to to build relationships so that we could scale down the road. How how was it that you got involved with Harvard Business Publishing and and how did how do, how did those kind of those two roads meet, you know, so to speak? The roads between Harvard Business Publishing and my previous experience. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, sure. So I think HPP uh, really liked the fact that I had my previous role was uh, director of international product development at Nuance Communications, mm-hmm. and and Nuance is the the company where I was leading a team, and one of our biggest. Uh, successes, I guess, was the development of Siri in about 40 languages. Wow. Yeah. They understood that I that I had experience with large projects, uh, large teams, interacting with different business units. And I think that was one of the, the main points that um, seemed appropriate for me to do the, the transition between Nuance and, and HVP and come in and be able to bring some of that experience. Tell us a little bit about how you adapted to that new role. You know, how how all that experience that you accumulated informs the work that you do these days. Yeah, so I've been in localization since the 90s. And um, I've seen it go from very uh, rudimentary type of um, processes and tools and technology and kind of evolve over time. And so seeing how the um, i think in the the year 2012 when i joined hbp we still uh, i mean there was technology had advanced quite a bit when it comes to localization we had very good cat tools had very good translation memory tools and things like that however hbp was still sort of in diapers and so there was no need for any large scale type of technology uh, to manage our translations. Um, so we did a lot of the work manually. But in the 
coming years, we began to understand the need for localization testing, um, localization engineering, and started to build up the teams. A lot of what we do is through vendors and through contractors, but that gives us the flexibility to be able to bring people in when we need them. And when things slow down, then we we rethink our structures. But you know, over the over time, we've been increasing the number of products where we are trying to increase our global presence, I guess is one way to put it. HBP produces a lot of content. We have three main business units, corporate learning, higher education, and Harvard Business Review. And each one of those produces somewhat different type of content, but related. Mm-hmm. Uh, produce a lot of case studies, a lot of articles, books, um, podcasts, videos, all kinds of things. And then, of course, there's Harvard Management Mentor and other technologies um, that are sort of e-learning platforms. And so there's a, a lot of variety there. And we have to be kind of cautious about how, where we um, want to expand and try to understand what drives the demand in each market and for each language. I know this is uh, probably something that we could go very in depth on, but um, but uh, I, I figured that maybe uh, just briefly we could talk a little bit about um, the evolution of machine translation that you've seen uh, over the years and. And maybe you can you know, briefly describe, you know, where things were when you first started working on it and where things are now. Yeah, I think my my initial interaction with machine translation and artificial technology was mm-hmm. when I worked for a company called uh, Wildfire Communications. And they were a small company trying to create a, a text-to-speech technology for mm-hmm. telephones text-to-speech, speech-to-text. And so they were dealing with a lot of this modeling type of work where you create a language model. In this case, it would be a text model that gets converted to voice or a voice model that gets converted to text, Mm -hmm. which is very similar to what we do with translation, right? In in the case of translation, we are taking one corpus and converting it to a similar equivalent corpus. And so we did some experimentation there and... uh, this was in the mid 2000s and early 2000s and it was uh, a challenge a challenge for many reasons one the models that needed to be built had to be very very large mm-hmm. and we didn't have access to a lot of that modeling data meaning uh, equivalent content in language a and language b to be mm-hmm. able to compare and to be able to create those models. And so at the time, you know, be, when the internet was still sort of uh, getting getting going, there wasn't access to a lot of these uh, language models that exist today. And so that was one of the challenges. It was also difficult and more difficult in some languages than others, language combinations than others. And so we started with the ones that were a little easier, like English to Spanish or English to Portuguese and and had some success, but it was very, very limited. Um, Statistical machine translation has been around for a very long time. And that's sort of the model that we were, we were following where uh, it's sort of a very rudimentary um, word for word or phrase for phrase sort of uh, parallel um, unification and comparison. We were able to succeed in short 
phrase translations, um, short expressions and commands. But it, it you know, it, it didn't take us very far. At the time, it was very successful because that company was bought out and it was a successful sell of the company because of the technology that we had created. But it was by no means anywhere near to where we are today. Fast forward to 2017 or so when neural machine translation came into, into play and suddenly neural machine translation has the ability to take advantage of neural networks, very large networks. So mm -hmm. the, the technology limitations are taken away and processing limitations are taken away. You know, back when I was in, in that startup, we were working on phones with small phone processors. Now our phone processors are as capable as many of the large computers. So they're able to process a lot more data, process larger language models, um, multiple language models even. And so with neural machine translation, uh, we started doing some research at HBP and seeing what the industry was saying about it. We're very cautious. And so we wanted to do our own tests and have done a lot of language pair testing uh, with human professional translators to compare quality between uh, empty engines and between uh, different sort of processes as well. And so we've been able to see, once again, English to Spanish is one of the languages where we have, or combinations where we have a lot more data and a lot of demand for HPP mm -hmm. as well. And so we started doing some experiments there and have been able to see some, some good success. I've been able to see that there is a market for some people who are perfectly happy to read some of our content in their language, even if it is not perfect. Mm -hmm. One of the big question marks uh, for us is uh, what is good enough right, for, for our customers? We have to protect the Harvard brand and we're very careful about what we release with the Harvard name. And so when we use MT, we, we have various models. Um, we have a raw MT that is used for some things and then a hybrid MT. So that is MT with post-editing. Um, and of course, we use uh, professional translations as well. How do you, how do you think that um, these technologies are going to develop and evolve and, and, and improve over the next several years? That's that is the the big question, right? <laughs> there are a lot of discussions and a lot of researchers, uh, people with a lot more experience than than I have, who uh, are trying to make estimates and, and guess what's going to happen in the future. But I think from what I've seen, based on the past few years and the experience that we've had and the successes that we've had and the failures that we've had, um, we've learned that neural machine translation kind of did a took a big leap. In mm -hmm. the beginning, and quality started to improve very quickly and at larger steps. And now we're seeing it sort of plateau a little bit. And I think it'll require some large and significant development in research to have another leap like that. Right. But the levels at where we are today are, I mean, some claim that they are as good as human transla translators on in the when you look at it at as far as um, you know humans 
make mistakes. We we sometimes are inconsistent in levels of concentration or vocabulary, what have you. And machines, if there's anything that they are, is consistent. And so mm-hmm. that's one big advantage that, that machine translation brings to the table. So in our case in particular, I think we will see a lot more use of machine translation in sort of the hybrid model. Most, mm-hmm. I, I feel that there will be a need for um, translators and editors to adapt. And this is already happening, but maybe we'll need, we'll see a little bit more of it where they'll need to adapt to um, editing machine translations more and more rather than producing translations from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I do think that there's a need for translations from scratch, and I don't know that that will ever go away. There's very creative writing, such as marketing and advertisements and things like that, and literary translations, where obviously there will be a need for nothing can replace the human creativity and, and the human touch. But I do see that uh, neural machine translation with its advantages and the ability, its ability to to take large amounts of data for reference, mm-hmm. I'm seeing and hoping that that will grow. Whereas now, neural machine translation is able to look at complete sentences and take those into account for fluency and consistency. I'm hoping that soon we'll be able to take, and I think in some cases already, it is able to take entire paragraphs into consideration. And that helps with context, helps with consistency. Hopefully in the future, we'll see that it can take into account entire documents where if something was translated a certain way five paragraphs ago, uh, it would be translated the same way in the, the upcoming paragraphs as well. So lots, lots of exciting stuff in the future, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you already touched on it a little bit, but uh, maybe we can get uh, more uh, into detail on on how you see you know human translators and machine translation fitting together and working together, which is obviously a, a, a source of a lot of discussion right now and a lot of speculation. Hear a lot of different ideas about it. So maybe you could share your your thoughts on that matter. Yes, absolutely. In fact, I have uh, friends who are translators, and we have lots of conversations about this. A friend who has been translating for for several decades, and she wants to remain relevant, and so she wants to learn what can, how can she adapt to be able to uh, be relevant in the world of machine translation. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's there are those who will be very interested in doing that, and, and there will be a need for some adaptation. Editing and proofreading is perhaps less interesting to some translators, where they mm-hmm. prefer the creativity of creating a new sentence from scratch. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. I think there will be room for that. But for those who want to work with machine translation, I think it will require some training It'll require some the ability to adapt to a new model of taking text that is already pretty good and making it better, mm-hmm. right? or adding that touch of uh, of creativity that the human mind can add. I think it'll, as I said, I think it'll require a little bit of training because. LSPs, for example, are very interested in speeding up the translation process. Mm-hmm. So they'll put a lot of pressure on translators and proofreaders to get faster at 
editing and fixing translations. One risk that I do see is um, in losing some of the, again, I don't want to be redundant, but perhaps the creativity that comes when you create a sentence from scratch. Mm -hmm. Uh, Machine translation can do a very good job and can be very fluid, but oftentimes is is not very creative. And so Mm -hmm. um, my fear is that as proofreaders become too accustomed to the style that machine translation produces, that they might lose some of their own creativity. Mm. And so, you know, I think as with any profession, and translators are very good at staying current, and they they often read a lot, they love to read, and they love to absorb language. And I think that will become even more important so that they can stay fresh despite all of the contact that they will have with machine translation. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's a really interesting perspective. It's always, always interesting to, to hear more of what people have to think about that. And, uh, I guess we could, you know, transition from there into just talking a little bit about what you're working on right now, what's taking up a lot of your time. And, um, and, uh, so, you know, I, I understand that there's a flagship, uh, product in the works, uh, and, uh, you know, what can you tell us about that? Our higher education business unit produces a lot of case studies and a lot of materials for universities. Mm-hmm. Our HBR, Harvard Business Review division, creates uh, the magazine and lots of articles, lots of content on leadership and, and improving management. Uh, and then there's corporate learning where we have products that are suited for people at different levels in their careers mm-hmm. in the corporate world and helping them become better leaders, better managers. And that's the area where this flagship product belongs. It's called Harvard Manage Mentor. And it's a very large e-learning platform. It contains 41 topics and they have to do with leadership and management and business acumen and things like that. And each one of those, is, it's its own sort of course and so they're very, very large. They have uh, videos, they have articles, they have uh, assessments so that you can kind of interact and, and learn more and exercises. They have uh, expert lectures from experts that participate in each topic as well. And so that's the product where we're experimenting now with machine translation. It's very text uh, heavy or content heavy it has over a million words in its in its uh, main product and so we're trying to see how much we can speed up and help us uh, get more efficient at translating that entire product which is very mm-hmm. complex and, um, and the technology is very complex as well and so the experiment has to do with using a machine translation engine and integrating it into this product. See how hard it is to do that, first of all, because those connections can can be very tricky, as we are learning already. Uh, the different file formats require different connectors. And so we're experimenting with all of that, trying to see how much it would help and then when we flip the switch and do the translations, then figure out how good is the quality and how much post-editing does it require? Are there some areas that require more than others and how much effort 
will that will that involve? So we've been doing that since um, uh, last late last year. Mm-hmm. It's in progress now. We hope to have something ready towards the the fall in this year for a pilot program, where we will uh, share it with some some of our customers, and uh, we'll see how we did. The results will be very very interesting, and of course they can. For the future, they can mean a lot of different things. They can mean that that we can be more efficient with something that's been very complex in the future to translate. Uh, if we can increase that efficiency, then perhaps we can do uh, we can provide more languages and make it available to to more people around the world. Great, yeah. So you mentioned that um, this has been uh, you've been working on this since uh, late last year. Um, that's when things kind of got started, as far as that goes. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about you know what what your your feeling was with the uh, results of using this you know these new kind of process? Yeah, we've had our share of challenges as with any any new technology and a new experiment. There are challenges. Some of them have to do with uh, resources, having the right resources involved. There is a need for technology experts, uh, some developers who understand not only our product but who understand the APIs, MT engines, and who understand how they, the two work together, right? And that, that has been a bit of a challenge. We've had also challenges having to do with how much to post-edit and how much to how to understand the, the quality levels that will be good enough for our customers and at the same time will be within the margins of what we consider acceptable within this experiment. Mm-hmm. So I think later in the summer, we'll have more answers and we'll know once we actually get our hands into the, the testing, the linguistic testing, we'll see exactly how well we did with that. But uh, uh, in terms of successes, I think it's been it's a little early to <laughs> call it a victory just yet, but it's it's been an excellent learning experience. I, I firmly believe in the value of doing experiments and staying flexible in your organization. And we've been able to do that with this. We've seen product teams which are very used to doing things a certain way and they've adapted to trying new technologies and trying new new ways of doing things. And so I feel that that's, that's been a success. Um, but the jury's still out. <laughs> we'll know later this summer. Yeah, absolutely. That, I mean, and that's, you know, exciting to see the... Um, the progress that's being made and also you know kind of I, i'm i'm sure there's a little bit of uncertainty in in wondering where it's all gonna land too so so that's you know i guess all part of the the thrill of the process right <laughs> and you you said it I, I like the word thrill because that's how i feel about it when we yeah. do these experiments uh you know it's really exciting to to await those results and to see how you did. And even when when the experience experiments don't go as well as you had hoped, the amount of learning that comes out of them is is part of the value itself. Mm-hmm. It's, it, you can read articles and you can read case studies, but there's nothing that can replace the ability to actually experiment with your own products, with your own resources, your own people, your own teams, and uh, figure things out for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you're you're going to be um, you're, you're going to be at a uh, an upcoming conference, isn't that right? And and is this something that you're going to be discussing and talking about there? 
Right. So I recently joined the the AMTA, so it's the Association of Machine Translation in the Americas. Mm -hmm. I'm on their committee and have met some great, wonderful folks. And we are in the process of planning the conference, which will mm -hmm. take place in Orlando in September. It's from mm -hmm. September 12th through the 16th. And there will be over 50 presentations on anything and everything having to do with machine translation. There will be usage, use cases, uh, presentations. There will be a lot of presentations on research, on the latest research. Uh, there's a lot of exciting uh, momentum about machine interpretation, for example, which is kind of a new technology that's been developing recently. And a lot of other things. Lots of great uh, keynote speakers. And um, so it should be very exciting. Yeah, that's great. That's great. That's going to be a great opportunity to hear about all sorts of exciting work. I think that's right. And yeah, don't forget networking. It's one of those events yeah. are wonderful for for networking and meeting your peers and yeah, meeting and people, especially face to face nowadays. That and now that we've been away from conferences for so long, it'll be great to see people face to face. Yeah, you can't take that for granted anymore. It uh, it's it's uh, fun to see everything kind of firing back up again. Uh, so that that'll be terrific. Absolutely. And uh, maybe uh, you could also tell us a little bit about uh, just you know outside of work, some of the things that you're interested in. What what keeps you busy? Uh, you know what 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 do you do to unwind? Uh, especially having you know having a job where you're you're you know, very you know, a process of trial and error and, and incremental improvements, you know, how do you, how do you, uh, unwind from all of that? Right. Yeah, no, we all need that. Right. It's, yeah. it's very, very important. Um, so recently one of my hobbies that I really, really enjoy is uh, nature photography. Oh, good. Okay. I'm lucky enough to live in a place where there's a lot of access to nature and mountains and lakes and so I really like to get out there, go off road and, and really explore what's out there, the wildlife and just, you know, what happens when the sun comes up and what happens when it goes down and how everything around us changes. That's one of my my main things. And, and taking a little vacation to Lake Powell for the 4th of July with family, which will be really, really fun. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, well, I'm sure that's going to be a, a, a great time and uh, uh, really appreciate all the time that you've you've taken uh, here to, to talk with us. Uh, very much appreciate uh, just, you know, learning more about this, uh, you know, the technologies that are that are in play in the industry right now, which is just uh, such an exciting and, and uh, evolving uh, situation. In closing, is there anything else you want to talk about or any other, you know, aspect of all of this that, that that you'd want to comment on that maybe we haven't gotten to my pleasure first of all thank you for this opportunity to get to know you a little bit and to mm -hmm. share my thoughts i hope that we'll continue this relationship and I, I really appreciate the what you guys do as a magazine i've been a follower for a long time and i've always been very interested in in the scope of what you cover um and so it's good to be to be a part of all of this. It's uh, languages and uh, localization and technology are my passion. And so mm -hmm. it's exciting to talk to others where I can share a little bit of that passion without without um, having them fall asleep, like my <laughs> <family>. <laughs> when I talk too much about this stuff. 
I, I, uh, I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure our readers appreciate that too. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Let me know if you need anything else from me. Just let me know. Thank you for listening to Localization Today.